Somewhere out there, there are marketers who are doing something that seems insane to the rest of us mortal marketers. Most of us are out here trying hard to just make a show happen. We're working to get internal buy-in, crafting a concept, shaping our episodes, and trying to figure out this marketing and measurement stuff. We have this burning desire to make our shows matter, not just to generate more revenue, but to make a difference. We want that. And it's hard. It is. This stuff is chess, not checkers. We have to embrace that and to master the right things to be good at what this game actually is, which also means ignoring people who promise the easy button. It doesn't exist. And that's all for creating just one show at our brands. But somewhere out there, there are marketers doing something that seems insane. They're building networks of shows, multiple monster media projects, all of which could suck up all of their time, and yet they balance it all. Some of them, like the duo that we talked to today, with just a part of their overall time at work. It feels unthinkable to most of us, and yet it's a growing part of the showrunner movement in marketing. Today, our first foray into one of the more popular networks of branded podcasts out there. This is Three Clips. Hey, I'm Jay Akunzo, and on this show, we help makers and marketers understand great podcasts a few little pieces at a time. Three Clips is part of the site Marketing Showrunners, which I founded last year to help serve marketers who want to find and share their voice, make a difference, and shift the culture of their industries. I believe the best way to do that is through a project built for resonance, not reach. For sharing your voice consistently, not trying to manufacture one-off viral hits. And for getting people to stay, not just arrive. That vehicle, that project is called a show. You can start learning with some of the most creative, generous marketers in the world on our site, marketingshowrunners.com. Today's episode of the show is one of our more conversational episodes. We won't be discussing one specific show and deconstructing it or playing it back, but rather, every so often, we want to talk to people like the duo that we talked to today who are making a serious impact on the overall craft of what we do. In this case, we're exploring the curious evolution of one podcast into a whole collection of shows. Today, we talked to Gail Axelrod and Molly Sloan from Drift. Drift provides live chat tools for businesses on their websites and other back-end tools for sales and marketing focused on helping companies have more and better conversations with their audience during the buyer's journey. Their first podcast at Drift, which we'll get into, was a runaway smash hit in their niche, and it led to the launch of an entire network and all the turmoil and benefits that goes into that. As for our guests, Gail is the company's director of brand marketing, and Molly is the senior manager of marketing communications. I'll chime in periodically as a narrator to clarify who is speaking to you, Gail or Molly. We talk about why a brand would ever consider running a whole network, what it looks like to grow, and what goes on when your job is to balance that many podcasts in a world where so many of us struggle to launch and maintain even one. All that plus breaking Apple's star rating system for shows. That's coming up after the break. Stay with me. Today's episode is sponsored by Casted, the world's first B2B podcasting platform. 
Casted offers tools to host, distribute, measure, and break apart your show into endless pieces of content like transcriptions and clips and key takeaways and landing pages. In fact, you can generate a landing page for your entire show as well as every episode that's actually hosted on your domain so you can share that instead of a third-party app because who knows if everybody actually wants to go over to Apple or Spotify or Overcast or Stitcher and we certainly don't own the audiences when we point people away from our own domain. So to help equip your teammates to use the content bottled up in your show and to put your show at the center of your team's marketing strategy because the days of brands making podcasts as a side project are over, visit casted.us. If you run a B2B podcast, check out casted, Casted casted.us. Okay, let's get into my conversation with Gail and Molly from Drift. One quick caveat here. This was recorded late 2019, back when Drift's VP of Marketing was Dave Gearhart. He has since left the company to become CMO at another business, but when we mention him a few times today, it'll sound like he's still there. And that's just due to the fact that this was recorded before he left the company. So I just wanted to clear that up. All right, enough preamble. Let's get to our discussion with Gail and Molly. I'm Molly Sloan. So I run the blog at Drift and I also run our podcast program. So that means managing our five and counting podcast shows. So that means I work with our hosts on, you know, just scheduling the shows and making sure they get out the door, naming them and kind of just anything in between that goes into a podcast. And so so just to give people an overview, so this started as one show, one podcast. It was your now vice president of marketing, Dave Gerhart, and CEO and co-founder, David Cancel, co-hosting a show called Seeking Wisdom. I actually remember back when Seeking Wisdom was literally just David Cancel, just DC, and then DG joined up. And it became this like micro phenomenon. And that seemed to help launch the other podcasts. So we'll get into the construct of the network and the shows and how that all works. But... There is this like recurring theme. It's almost like a tagline that started with Seeking Wisdom, the show. Then it became part of the Hypergrowth Network, the the collection of shows. So whoever wants to take this, explain the phrase, six stars only. (laughs) That's Gail, Director of Brand Marketing. I think that's just like how we do everything at Drift is we always want to go above and beyond, whether that's for our customers, whether that's, you know, functionality in our product with the content that we put out. Everything we do has like custom artwork. It's just like everything at Drift, we go above and beyond one step further. So Apple only lets you leave five stars. That's never good enough. We always want to aim for six. So that's (laughs) kind of where that came from. And it became something that not just DC and DG used on Seeking Wisdom. It just all the hosts have adopted it as as their closing. So it's a good way to get reviews too. Yeah, I mean, it, think about like shows are these vehicles expressly built to hold attention. So a lot of content can be used by marketers to grab attention. You know, I'd argue there's some downside to that mental orientation around blogging or social or what have you. But but shows are really built expressly to keep people around over time. And I think one of the things that does is deepens relationships with your audience. And a great way to do that proactively is you have these little runners, these little inside jokes. You know, think of any famous show that you love. I'm a big sports fan. So SportsCenter has their top 10 plays at the very end. And then they remix it to on Fridays, the not top 10 plays. So they're kind of bloopers. Like the more you watch the show, the more you get embedded with the language, the segments, the names of things. And I feel like, like Six Stars Only started as a runner between DC and DG. Like you said, it spilled to every show. And the more you listen to the Hypergrowth Podcast Network, the more that becomes 
A, a symbol of those who are part of it, which draws the audience closer to your brand. And then B, something bigger. Like you said, it started as a little funny thing, like give us six stars instead of five. And then now it's become, it's like imbued with meaning. Like it's, it's about the way you operate, operate in a six star level. So I just, I like that whether or not it was proactive, it just Ooh. seems to be this thing that is one small part of a listener feeling like they belong. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Also, DC, you know, refers to himself as the uncle and other people as like the nephew. And I think it's just this kind of insider language that you kind of only hear on the podcast or if you know some of the hosts, but it's just a really good way to make sure their personality is coming through, which I think is really hard for a lot of B2B brands to kind of inject personality into something that a lot of people think is usually pretty stale and technical. And I think there's right. no better way to do that than with a podcast. You're literally in someone's ears, like in their most intimate time, you know, on their commute when they're just zoning out and trying to relax. And like you can engage with people then and provide value when you're literally stuck on the train, you know, for 45 minutes. Like, <laughs> I think it's awesome. And I think people really value that. Yeah. In, in uh, like NPR parlance, they talk about driveway moments, which is a phrase they use to refer to gripping moments in a story. So obviously, like a lot of NPR shows, they do field reporting, they craft a narrative. And so they're thinking about that moment or two in the story where you've, you've arrived at your destination, because obviously that it originated with radio, but you're there, you're home, you're at work, but you stay in your car or you stay in your driveway because it's so good you don't want to turn it off. So they talk about driveway moments. And I think, yes, in, in B2B in particular, maybe we don't do as many narratives. There's something to be said about trying it. But even if you don't do a story, maybe think about t-shirt moments or t-shirt phrases. Like I've always thought about you could print out six star only t-shirts. Mm -hmm. like, what are you doing in your show to develop such community that someone would actually buy a t-shirt with that phrase or icon on it? Another good example is the podcast binge mode from the ringer.com. Like they binge mostly fantasy shows like Harry Potter or movies, Harry Potter, Star Wars, Game of Thrones is what launched them into fame. And they have these phrases like, you know, if somebody does something stupid, one of the hosts goes, eh, tough look for my guy. And tough look for my guy has become this runner. And I've seen people with hats and t-shirts that say it. So there's that mentality that I know Drift has of kind of developing an insider feel. The Pod Save America guys are really awesome at this, where it's just like they've managed to create this massive community where so much so that if, if I see someone in a store with like a pod shirt on, I'll, you know, smile at them. And it's like, we're part of this thing, you know? <laughs> As I mentioned at the top, Gail and Molly manage a network of shows. All of them are produced in-house and all of them are hosted by Drift employees. And I love that. I think it's so difficult to win trust and truly make a difference in your industry if you're not actually appearing on the show. You or a teammate or somebody who works for the company or at least represents it well. If you contract out to a different host, this is something I do for a living occasionally too. I have a few clients who hire me to host their shows. You better be damn sure that the host is fully integrated into your brand strategy, into your story, into your marketing, and truly understands what you and more importantly your audience is all about. Otherwise, it's not your company's show, it's, say, mine. You're just sponsoring it. So if you actually contract something out to a different host, just make sure they fully integrate into everything you do and represent your brand well. But I still think the best bet is you actually have a host that works in-house. 
I should also disclose that Drift hired me in 2018 to do a 20-part series on the best B2B brands in the world, going inside those companies, talking to customers, marketers, and executives. That series is called Exceptions, and although the series ended, it was 20 parts only, you can still find it and listen to Exceptions. So how did Drift go on to find multiple hosts in-house? It's one thing to have the CEO who appears publicly all the time as a guest join a VP of marketing who does the same thing to create their own show. It's an entirely different matter to scale to a network of employees hosting shows. So the way they did this was to run a contest. The idea came from DC, David Cancel, Drift's CEO. The contest involved a simple video that you would have to submit to apply to become one of Drift's podcast hosts. Here's Gail on why they did this. What makes for a good show is a captivating host. And we have some really interesting people on the team at Drift. And if you listen to any of our podcasts, you can see that it's not just DC who's leading everything, but really these individuals who are kind of, you know, adding their own personality and just actually captivating on in their own right. As part of the Hypergrowth Podcast Network, Drift has seven shows, four of which are currently producing episodes, three of which are still available but inactive. The four live shows are all hosted by employees, as I mentioned. There's Build, hosted by their product team's Maggie Crowley, and that's about product and product management. There's Operations, hosted by Director of Operations, Sean Lane, and that's about, you guessed it, Operations. There's also Growth, which is hosted by Matt Bellotti, who works on the product team, and he leads the growth of the product. That show is about growth and growth marketing. And lastly, their most recent show, The Conversational Marketing Podcast, and that features multiple voices from the team exploring the category that Drift named Conversational Marketing. Now, by the way, the the show that started this all, their most popular to date, it's no longer live as DC has shifted his attention elsewhere. It's called Seeking Wisdom, and that's about learning and getting better every day and generally talking about the entrepreneurial or growth mindset found all over the tech world. But here's the question. While some topics like the conversational marketing podcast are obviously related to Drift's brand and product, a lot of them aren't. So why do they do such a diverse array of shows? Here's what Gail said. Yeah, so I would actually argue that ops is pretty relevant to our customer base. We have a lot of marketing ops people who don't necessarily like spend their day chatting in Drift with customers who are coming to their sites, but who optimize the use of Drift. So from reporting to where it's going to appear to what playbooks are being used. So I actually think that one is very closely tied to our product and ultimately our customer base. But I would say it's this idea of brand affinity marketing, which is kind of build a show where you're not just selling yourself, you're keeping it very agnostic and build up some goodwill and people will become familiar with your brand. And maybe they talk to someone at their company who is more involved with running a conversational marketing product like Drift. And it kind of like spins from there. But it's really more, it's not just like Drift is not in the business of putting pure content marketing out every single day. I think you can see that across all of our blog content, all of our book content, and hopefully our podcast content. Like it's not just to promote the product. It's really to help people become better marketers, become better salespeople, become better product people, all in the hopes of building goodwill around our brand. I'd also like to add that I think that it shows that our roles with marketing, product, operations, sales have never been 
more closely intertwined. They've never worked closer together than they do now. And so having those different perspectives, but kind of under the same hypergrowth network family, I think that really helps our listeners put into perspective, yes, what we can bring from a, from a brand and product perspective, but also just what they can do with their own team. Hey, just a quick message from one of our new sponsors, Contently. You might be familiar with the way I kind of like rant every so often against the bad marketing, the hollow content that goes spinning out into the internet way too much from brands these days. Well, Contently and I have developed this kind of like kinship because they too cannot stand that stuff. Uh, Contently has a marketing platform that helps brands like Marriott, Google, RBC, Dell, and more create really high-performing content. Everything from video series to blog posts to interactive content, print magazines, even like thought leadership with actual thoughts. And their technology helps you predict which content formats and topics and channels will best engage your audience. And one of the things I am super excited that they do is they offer clients, brands, access to a network of talent, like human beings who actually know how to create great content. These people are Pulitzer Prize winners, Emmy Award winning content creators from companies like Wired, The Economist, The Financial Times, New York Mag, and more. It all ensures that their clients' content isn't just better, it's the best of the best. So I really do love this team over there. I'm excited that they're a new sponsor for Three Clips to explore what they have to offer and definitely check out their blog, The Content Strategist. Go to contently.com. That's contently.com. Walk me through the show development process. You mentioned the vetting of the host and, and maybe now you're not doing the contest, but how do you actually go about developing a new concept, talent, format, you know, planning it out. Can you just walk me through maybe the bridge between we're going to do another show to now we're launching? What are all the major steps in between? Yeah. So our newest show is called Conversational Marketing, which actually does have a big drift focus. And that one we launched this summer. And I think because we've done so many shows, it kind of just like, we have a checklist mm-hmm. and we know how to get it up and running. So it's like build demands, set it up with our hosting provider, do all the technical stuff, which is like get the RSS feed, submit it to literally everywhere anyone could ever want to listen to a podcast. So not just on Apple or Pocket Cast, but Spotify and Blueberry and dozens of other places. So technically make sure that it's available um, if you're going to be telling people that you're launching this amazing new thing and then they go and look for it and they can't find it that's kind of a fail and you're going to lose them (laughs) right without even ever getting them in then it's okay figuring out like what is the concept this one was pretty straightforward it was conversational marketing so we decided that people were going to talk about their own use of conversational marketing not necessarily drift specific and that's involves a lot of like customers and guests and partners. And then it's also finding like who we think should host this. When I asked about the show development, you kind of the the thing that seemed obvious to you is not at all obvious to lots and lots of marketers, which is like, we need a show and we need a show about this. So how do you get there? What made you decide, hey, we have five shows, you know, it'd be cool. Or have we have how many four shows at the point at that time? You know, it'd be awesome. Let's do another show. <laughs> and let's make it about this concept. Like, where does that brainstorming strategy session, like how do you just get to the point where you're like, okay, we're greenlit to do another show? Yeah. So for the conversational marketing podcast, I would say that was kind of a glaring hole, which was like, okay, we have all these shows that aren't necessarily about our product or conversational marketing. 
why don't we have a show about the category that we created? So that one seemed really obvious. But I think for future shows, it's like, what co- what written content is resonating with our audience and why? And is there a theme there? And is there like a persona that we're trying to go after a bit more? So maybe that's the CRO or the CMO. And are we communicating with them on all channels? Do we have written content, video content, audio content? I'll also add that I think in January, we published our book called Conversational Marketing. So we'd already done this thing that we've never done before, which is publish a, like a real book that there was even on it was even on the NASDAQ screen. So it really was kind of just like a big hole for us. We Why not create a podcast around this? How have we not done this before? So it was really just the, I think the few months after that was really just getting the right people in the room to brainstorm what we wanted the show to be, how we wanted it to be different, how we wanted it to be drifty, and then eventually figuring out, okay, who are the who are the right people or who is the right person to host this? So why a network? Like what are the advantages of a network versus what I've seen some people do is they'll they'll do mini series within the same feed. So the, the first benefit that you already highlighted was if there's a loyal following to one topic or host, they have the option of discreetly subscribing to that show and also avoiding maybe this onslaught of too much content. So I kind of get the overwhelm and the specificity of it. But from a brand perspective, what are the benefits you've seen in running an entire network of shows where so many brands are just trying to launch a single show? I mean, just like searching alone on the Apple Podcast app, if you search for Drift, like you'll see all of these shows, which is like, oh shit, this tech startup is basically a media company, which I think is really cool, but more in the nitty gritty. And I I think a lot of people don't really understand the ROI of podcasts because the reporting is so limited, but by splitting them all out into their own feeds, we have more stats. So we can see, you know, which podcast is actually performing, how many downloads is it getting versus just like, okay, maybe everyone is in the Seeking Wisdom feed because they love Seeking Wisdom and now they're subscribed and they are default downloading every single show, but build or growth or ops might not be relevant. So it's actually a way clearer way of figuring out, you know, the success rate of the shows. Well, that's interesting. So success rate, I think it means so many different things. Like there's the obvious, which is how are the downloads doing? There's maybe the secondary thing, which is also obvious, especially in the social media age, where people have accounts on Twitter and all these places, and maybe email too. the qualitative feedback, like the passion, and or who they are saying passionate things. Are there other things you look at to gauge success, especially when a show is really new? Yeah, when the show is really new, it's really hard because maybe you have like a handful of people who have downloaded it and who are subscribed. But I think the most important thing that we've realized is consistency is key, which is what was really lacking before Molly and I kind of stepped in to do like the project management side of things, which is like, you need to be consistent and you need to have a show every week or every other week. Otherwise, people are going to listen to it once, you know, when you post a link on social media and then they're going to totally forget about it. What you want with podcasts is for people to subscribe. So you show up every single time you launch a show in their library. Like for right. me, I listen to the same like six podcasts, you know, every day or every week because they're just right there and I never have to search for them. So if you can get someone to subscribe, that's gold. There's definitely like an early mover vibe I'm getting. Like Drift was an early mover in branded podcasting in general and in a lot of things you're doing. But at Marketing Showrunners, we did this huge project called the world's biggest list of branded podcasts and video shows. So we spent a disgusting amount of time trying to curate this thing and then took naps. But like one of the things we noticed was 
there are some companies that have podcast networks. So just to name a few, there's one actually I'd never heard of this company before I met the team, but Eleven uh, FS, which is a fintech company in the UK, they have three podcasts. Brookings, which is a nonprofit public policy and research group, four podcasts. Uh, HubSpot has three. Impact Branding and Design. The agency has seven, but a lot of those came in when employees started or or they were acquired, so they were kind of external podcasts that they're kind of subsuming under the Impact Brand. Lola has four. They're a travel tech company. Mailchimp has two, but they actually don't make any content in-house. They contract out to other creators and kind of purchase the content and host it. Rainmaker FM sells WordPress tools. They have eight podcasts. So they've been doing this for years and years and years. Shopify Studios has one, and they're mostly focused on video. So it's not completely unusual, but it still is super, super early to move from a show to a network of shows. And what I'm curious about is what changes in addition to the project management craziness, I'm sure, when you run a network? Are you looking for ways to cross-promote within the network? Or you know, what, what are you trying to do now that you guys run a network that you maybe couldn't have done when it's just a single show? So what changes? I definitely have a technical side. So even just thinking about like, where do all these podcasts live? And if you wanted to see every single podcast versus like one show, do we have a home base for that? So now we do. It's drip.com slash podcast. Also leveraging some of the existing shows and the audiences they have when we're promoting a new show is really valuable. So again, like you might be a product person and you listen to build. And you might not be subscribed to growth, but a new show that we're launching might be relevant to you. And so it's getting all these people on all these different channels to hear about what we're doing next, I think is, you know, we're like not pinging the same people over and over again, because we have this distributed network of shows now. Any surprising lessons learned because you are overseeing multiple shows? Like what are the marketing tactics that you're trying or that have worked that could only really apply to somebody doing a network? Like I mentioned cross-promotion. Have you tried that at all where one show promotes listenership to another or anything else? So we do some cross-promotion with custom intros and outros or even like promoting our own event with a special like discount code for tickets. So sometimes we'll change up the intros or outros if we have an announcement. Um, I could see this becoming useful for like maybe even a product release on the conversational marketing podcast. So we have done some promotion. But again, like that's not what I would say is the main point of these podcasts. It's really just like awareness and goodwill and getting to talk to really cool people and telling their stories. You mentioned the project management element. So I did want to touch on that a little bit. What's like the you know, kind of apparatus or operating system, because, you know, I think it's interesting for people listening to this. I'm not talking to hosts of the shows. I'm talking to two people who in part or in full focus on just the management and success and improvement of the whole network. So y'all are behind the scenes <laughs> doing some things that are, I think everybody would benefit from, even if they're not working with a second teammate or third teammate, even if it is the host having to double time it a little bit. So walk us through like the system you've set up to make sure things don't completely derail. Because I, I think it might have been Molly early on who who said like, and now we're launching another show. And it was like, no, I feel you. I get it. I, I know why you laughed there. Like, it's crazy from the outside looking in what you've built and how you have to handle it. So what are the ways you try to actually project manage this so it stays, let's say, relatively smooth as possible? Right. So I can say I took this over from Gail and I definitely inherited a pretty well-oiled machine. And so we've just been moving and grooving since there. 
first and foremost, our hosts are, they're not just figureheads, they're actively involved in producing the shows. So they all come up with their own episode ideas and they're responsible for booking their own guests. So that's already a huge amount of legwork taken off, you know, our marketing team to, you know, have to like babysit that. They're all really engaged and very passionate about each of their shows and getting good guests who will bring a diverse perspective. So that's already like, I feel like we have a leg up on the competition there. And so then from there, the hosts will record their own episodes. Um, sometimes they bring in our creative team if they need if they need a video component to it, or if they have a question about miking or you know something, someone left the studio, you know, not in great shape, they'll like the creative team will just run in and make sure that the audio is good and if there's a video component, they'll just like take care of that. But then from there, the hosts will send me all of their audio files and like they could do separate intros, separate outros, that type of thing. And then I package that up and send it to our, our mixing platform that we use and they send back a mix. The host comes up with title and description. I kind of give my copy edit and marketer's eye to it. And then we ship it off to uh, the hosting platform and they post it for us. So that's kind of the rough sketch. And we try to do everything about a week before, but I can definitely tell you that doesn't always happen. (laughs) Um, It's often like finalizing things the night before, but I think we're a scrappy team. So, so everyone's willing to pitch in, but that's been the system that works for us. One of the things the team at Drift learned in launching so many shows is the power of planning ahead. Now that seems obvious, but just stay with me for a second. We all want to bank a few episodes, maybe more than a few, before we launch a show. We all want that. But then reality hits and either we can't get there or we do have a bunch of stuff recorded, but then we blow through them without also working at the same time on the next wave. And so now we're just back at square one, shipping episodes last minute. Drift gets around that in two smart ways. First, they create a short teaser for every new show they launch, which they then make available wherever people can listen and subscribe. This enables them to raise anticipation for the eventual launch of the show without coming out and saying, hey, we have a show suddenly, here's episode one. In this case, the teaser is a signal that they will be creating something great, so you better listen to the teaser and subscribe and get ready, so now they have an audience ready for the show when they do launch. And that's huge. We also forget that as marketers. We love our launches, but we forget the importance of raising anticipation. So you can do this teaser strategy or trailer strategy for new seasons or new miniseries or even just plain old upcoming episodes, not just new shows. Second... Drift also uses the time that they've now essentially purchased for themselves to bank a few episodes. They're doing marketing for the show, they just don't have any episodes live. So they've quieted that lizard brain that says, we're not sprinting about actively promoting our show, we better ship an episode as soon as it's recorded. No, they can say, let's take a beat, let's calm down, we have a trailer live, we can promote the idea of the show and still essentially do our jobs while also planning ahead. And that planning ahead lets their teammates, who are sometimes and oftentimes new hosts, master the craft, not just focus on filling some hole in an editorial calendar. So they build a backlog, they build an initial audience, raising anticipation, getting people excited for the launch, and they empower their employees to go deeper with this stuff, not just sprint ahead and do whatever they're already capable of doing. Like so many things at Drift, it's about lifelong learning and improvement. Here's Molly with more. One thing I love about how we do podcasts here is that we actually have very little creative oversight on 
how the hosts structure their shows. Sean, who runs Ops, he has a lot of production elements involved and he likes to do asides and different narrations. And that totally works for him and, and his audience. Matt on growth is like a one take wonder and really just like bangs through episodes, like very minimal edits, if at any at all. Maggie is more of a, she loves getting a really smart, sharp guest on her show and then just talking to them for you know 45 or 50 minutes. That's a really long amount of time, but her listeners listen through. So that, that works. And then our newest show, um, Conversational Marketing with Sammy and Sarah, they're two spitfires and they're hilarious to listen to and they're just real and themselves. And I can say that about all the hosts. And it, I think it's really the people. It, it's their shows. You can feel their their authenticity through it. And I think that's kind of what has worked for us. So in addition to adding more shows, what are the things you're excited to try to experiment? You know, I think there's a culture at your company. It's about trying things. It's about learning. It's about constant evolution. So the status quo is, hey, we figured it out. Take a topic that we care about. Find a host internally that seems charming and smart enough and launch a show that's similar to Maggie's or Sean's or Matt's. But even you just describing the creative tells me you're experimenting. You're, you're constantly trying stuff. So what are you excited to try next to ensure the success and growth of the network? Yeah. So um, one of the things I mentioned earlier was that it's just it's hard to get an idea of metrics for any of your shows. And so we're actually we've moved over to this new platform called Casted for B2B podcasters. So it's literally created for people like us. And so for me, I'm really just excited to, again, like with my self-service model that I'm rolling out with my hosts is to take a step back and be be able to be more strategic and leverage the insights that Casted will give us on you know number of downloads, number of listens. It also will let us you know make our own episode clips, which is just so awesome. And I think like all the hosts, I can totally see going into the platform, cutting a two minute clip where they were just so inspired by their guest and sharing that on social media. And I think like all that will help us grow our listener base. And really just like have even more data to play around with. Do we make our episode shorter? Do we make them longer? Does longer work for one show versus another one? Um, you know, it could probably even get more insights on, you know, how we write our descriptions. That's still something that I think will always be interesting. And especially if like iTunes or Apple changes the app, like what would what would that change for our approach? Okay, final thing. So Gail, this one's for you as head of brand marketing at Drift. So we exist, the, the organization I'm building, Marketing Showrunners, we exist for a really specific reason and we want to serve a very specific subset of marketers. So we, we like to say that we serve marketers who want to find and share their voice, make a difference and shift the culture of their industry. So these are people who don't simply want to use their job to sell more stuff. They, they see their jobs as a way to have impact, which yes, great, also sells more stuff. So if that's the person listening and they think they're ready to do this show running stuff that Drift is doing across so many podcasts, if you just reset all the way to the beginning, what's the first thing you tell someone like that to start thinking through? I think they need to find out from their audience, like what content are they craving and determine from there, okay, is that content different enough that it warrants its own show? Yes or no? Because like I said, like you can invest, but... If you just throw it out there and expect people to listen, that's not going to, you know, you're not going to get anywhere, but you need to be solving a, a need or a problem. Thank you to Gail Axelrod and Molly Sloan from Drift. You can explore their hypergrowth podcast network at drift.com slash podcast. 
Their best show ever, by the way, was Exceptions. By far, best show. Yep. Uh, not biased at all there. Thank you to Casted, our presenting sponsor, not only of this show, but of all of Marketing Showrunners. Casted offers tools to help B2B marketers host, publish, market, and measure their podcasts. But more so, they're a hell of a partner to us and to me at MSR as we try to hasten this movement of brands caring more about having an impact, not just being loud, about saying something that matters through a show. They're huge evangelists for the showrunner movement going on right now. Um, So if you want to make a difference with your show and and have impact on your career, your company, and your customers, visit casted.us to find tools specific to B2B marketers. That's casted.us. This episode was mixed by Johnny Peterson at Straight Up Podcasts. Three Clips is the official podcast of Marketing Showrunners. I mentioned before, we're a media company that covers and advances this movement of marketers making original series. So to start learning and to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for free, visit marketingshowrunners.com. I'm Jay Akunzo, and I believe great marketing isn't about who arrives. It's about who stays. So thanks for staying with me, and I'll talk to you this coming Monday on the next episode of Three Clips. See ya. Hey, two final things here, a reminder in both cases. So one is a reminder to please support this show by going to contently.com to check out a content strategy bundle of content, some of the best content I think that has ever been created about content, how meta. Uh, It's from our partners at Contently, and they're uh, an experimental sponsor of this show. They want to see, is this a show worth sponsoring? So please support the show by heading over to contently.com. And secondly, I want to tell you about our recommended read for this episode, for this week. A recommended read over on the Marketing Showrunners blog is a piece called Marketers, Please Don't Create Yet Another Branded Show. Might be a little bit weird to hear me say that. I teach people how to make branded shows, and so does Marketing Showrunners. But here's the deal. Too many of our shows are basically dead on arrival, and it all has to do with how we frame our approach. We think about making a podcast, a video series. We basically try to create either copycat programs or commodities. Now, we might not want to, but that's what happens. So read this piece to learn what to create instead and how to make sure people adore your show. I call it passing the t-shirt test. So that's the post on marketingshowrunners.com, which is called Marketers, Please Don't Create Yet Another Branded Show. Check your show notes for the link or search the blog at marketingshowrunners.com.